You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Great uh, to be together this morning. Uh, today we have uh, really just a great uh, opportunity to meet a, a brother that I've known for many, many years, and he's going to be sharing the pulpit with me this morning. But uh, we are part of the great churches around the world, and I know that we have some uh, friends that I recognize. And uh, one, if you're visiting with us for our service this morning from around the country, please stand on up from our sister's churches. We'd love to welcome you. All right. I knew it. I just looking around. Josh, great seeing you. We have a basketball tournament today. I, I didn't know you cared that much about it. <laughs> Isn't that important to you? But actually, Josh is uh, back here, and he's got another year, and then he's applying for law school, uh, either UCLA or Stanford. Is that right? So let's pray for UCLA. Forget Stanford. It's a podunk little school up in the north, and so UCLA is the way to go. also want to welcome uh, some kids uh, from UCSD. Uh, they're doing their spring break here. Amongst them is my daughter, uh, Nicole, as well. So welcome from UCSD. And she has some friends here as well. So, And then uh, last but not least, I want to welcome uh, Jason back and the new father. Jason Williams, where are you? Are you changing diapers somewhere in the back? Okay, Frank's here, right? Where's Frank? Frank, can you stand on up, Frank? This is uh, Frank Kim. Frank uh, is an elder in the church in Denver and my old boss. So, Frank, welcome. I, I still get a little nervous knowing that you're here. I don't know why. I mean, you don't pay my salary or anything like that. But uh, it's great to see you. And congratulations on being a dad as well. A grandfather. Grandfather. You are a dad, but grandfather, see. And Mimi is here also. All right. Um, this next guest here is uh, just a great friend and a great brother uh, from just many, many years back. And although he only weighs 120 pounds, it's all hearts and brains. And this guy got brains we know nothing about. Uh, he's here for a conference uh, in Long Beach uh, that's going to be happening next week. And uh, some of the delegates, some of the leaders from our churches from around the world are gathering together just to meet, pray, and to be able to discuss some, some pressing issues. Uh, they do this once a year. Roland is a uh, teacher uh, from Manila. And uh, he's got um, an MDiv, which is pretty impressive. But not only that, but he has a doctorate in ministry as well. Uh, I think he speaks both Greek and Hebrew. So pretty impressive guy. But uh, more importantly than that, he's just a great brother. Uh, loves God. Uh, loves the church. He uh, currently serves as an evangelist there. Uh, he's been 26 years uh, as a disciple uh, he has uh, uh, married, and he has uh, two kids. So Roland's going to start our first part of the sermon today, and he's going to share some great news from all around the world. So I give you Roland Monhe. All right, Roland. Thanks, Ken. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Ken. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. I bring you warm greetings from the Philippines. There you go. Yes, my name is Roland, and I serve on the Manila staff. We're thankful for the connection that we have 
with the U.S. churches, the Southwest churches in particular, and especially the L.A. church, which we've considered a big brother in our family of churches. It's great to be reconnected with friends, uh, great to uh, reconnect with Ken and Lena. They served in Asia for a good number of years, and they've been instrumental in starting different churches, uh, starting frontier ministries, raising up key leaders. At one point, they served in the campus ministry, and so Ken was my leader, my mentor, my big brother, and my Jedi master. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Uh, here's the Metro Manila Christian Church. Uh, 2,300 members uh, at the moment. About 4,000 disciples you have among, uh, total among the islands in the Philippines. God's been gracious to us in the Philippines. Uh, despite a lot of economic difficulties where countless millions subsist on $5 a day or less, our churches are growing. We're still very much understaffed, but uh, it's been inspiring to see how older Christians and mature Christians uh, take on various roles. That's why we've been able to plant seven new churches in the last 10 years. And so, wow. so now we have 27 churches throughout the Philippine That's archipelago. Awesome. Amen. That's awesome. And uh, about 80% of our churches are led by self-supporting leaders, just great-hearted uh, volunteers. On the teaching front, I'd also like to share, uh, we have a ministry school, the Asia Pacific Leadership Academy. It was started in 2008 uh, by a steering committee, which included uh, Frank Kim, yeah. of course, Gordon Ferguson, and myself, among others. Uh, we offer a certificate and diploma, and uh, we've had a total enrollment of about 450 students from 14 different nations. Wow. Uh, I'd like to share some news bites from Africa. So last week, I uh, did some uh, teaching in Accra, Ghana, and Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, in Ghana, I saw firsthand the challenges of third world Africa. But I was really impacted by the disciples, just how they live simple lives. And many of our brothers and sisters in Ghana eat only, they have only two meals a day. Wow. But they're happy, they're faithful, and I really saw how God was doing more with less. I was amazed by how they based their joy on spiritual things, on spiritual matters, and not on physical things. At the lower right is a church leader, the one in, uh, with a tie, uh, that's uh, Charles, and a prominent conversion, the one in blue, African attire, his name is Azuma. He's a military official, uh, 25 years in military service. He's been on many different campaigns, different continents, but uh, he is a faithful uh, brother in the Lord. That's awesome. Uh, I'd like to share about Nigeria. Uh, our church in Lagos has about 750, uh, 1,750 members. Uh, because of the great example of the Christians in their different communities, God has led them to some wealthy and influential people. And they've been able to penetrate those circles. And so uh, these people get converted. They see their lives change. They're grateful to God. And they give to the church. So now the church in Lagos, Nigeria, they have two properties that are owned fully by the church. Uh, one of the properties that's shown there uh, seats uh, over 1,000 people. Uh, picture on the left. And they have another property, which is more like a, a mini stadium, that seats 2,500 people. Incredible. Uh, here's a, a picture of uh, some of the disciples in Yangon, Myanmar. We're going back to Asia now. Uh, also known as Rangoon. They have about 80 members. Uh, they're demonstrating Christianity in a country coming out of military rule. A country that has a lot of atheism, not very open to uh, religion. 
Uh, here's an old picture of uh, the, the church there. If you look at the top row, if you'll notice there are bro- there's a brother there who's wearing shades. Do you, know, do you see him? Yeah. Uh, he's not a rapper, okay? <laughs> he's, uh, he's not just trying to be cool. His name is Paul, and he's been blind for many years now. Uh, I was interested when I saw him at Devo. I inter- interviewed him just about how he uh, keeps the faith, how he perseveres. Our brother Paul has been a faithful disciple, despite his condition, for 17 years. I don't know how he does it, but it's amazing just how uh, he's uh, kept his faith in God despite those challenges. Here's a picture of the Hong Kong church. Hong Kong church is now close to 2,000 membership. God has been blessing the work there in China uh, tremendously. Uh, here's, uh, if you're curious about the underground churches in China, they're doing well. They've had their challenges with the police, with uh, different authorities, and some of them were, were found out. But uh, I'm happy to announce we still have over 20 underground churches in China. Uh, those red dragons, please continue to pray for them. Total membership of about 1,000. And during the summer months, uh, this is really cool, during the summer months, several dozen college students fly out to mainland China to those uh, communist areas to evangelize. And I really appreciate their, their perseverance and their faith there. Lastly, I want to share about South Asia. Uh, here are some of the leaders in India. The brother in light gray, I want to share about him. He used to be a Hindu master and teacher. Uh, now he serves as an evangelist in India. Uh, the brother in red stripes uh, was one of the five brothers who were, was imprisoned. Uh, we had brothers who were imprisoned in Bangalore, India. Uh, their families didn't know if they were going to be released or killed, but thankfully they were all released. Uh, many, many brothers and sisters face intense persecution as part of their lives, but they continue to hold on to their faith and never stop evangelizing. Yeah, I want to share lastly about Pakistan. Uh, Pakistan, incredibly difficult mission field, over 97% Muslim. Uh, the brother in the blue shirt, his name is uh, Shaquille, not Shaquille O'Neal, but uh, Shaquille and his wife Funam, they lead a church in Islamabad. I was talking to Shaquille one time, he was telling me about how difficult this mission field is. They have a law against proselytizing, and if you uh, say anything bad about Islam or uh, show the Bible to someone, you get arrested uh, immediately. And uh, they upgraded that law. Now, if, if you're a Muslim and you see a, uh, someone proselytizing, maybe a Buddhist or a Christian, you say anything bad against Islam or against Muhammad, then they can kill you on the spot, and the government will even reward you. Anybody want to go to Pakistan, help out? Uh, but it, it's really a higher calling. Anyway, one time... So the disciples got together, and, uh, well, they had this assembly. They were singing, and they were praying, and, uh, and they got arrested. And the, so the authorities came and, and, and arrested them, kept some of them in, uh, in small rooms, fed them little food and water, just, just taunting them and telling them, stop sharing your faith, give up your faith, get out of this country, etc. Uh, but, uh, well, they got released eventually. Two of those who were released are now Bible talk leaders. And despite those immense challenges, we have over 270 disciples in Pakistan. Amen. Uh, and, uh, and, and these brothers and sisters really remind us all that whatever circumstances or challenges we face, there's nothing like having a simple faith that grabs on to God, just relying on His power, not on human effort or understanding, 
to weather the storms, and to come out victorious. So truly, as Paul writes in Colossians, the nature of the gospel is to bear fruit everywhere. By God's power, we are experiencing that today in Asia. Please continue to pray for Asia and Africa. Amen. Thank you very much. All right. I don't know about Jedi Master. I feel a little bit like Yoda. Uh, but uh, it's great having Roland here. Why are we doing this? Why do we spend the next uh, the last 10 minutes or so looking at all these people that we don't even know? I think number one is this perspective. Just understanding that we are part of something that is greater than ourselves. You know, it's been great having Roland in the house and, you know, I've been sharing uh, some of my woes about, oh, you know, uh, we're short on staff here on the west side, and, you know, we got 300 disciples, and Chaz and Olivia, Nina and myself, we're full-time. So I said, what about you, Ron? What about, what about you guys in Manila? He leads a region of 750 people, and he has two full-time staff, himself and his wife. So it puts things in perspective, doesn't it? So I felt a little bit better about myself, and I started feeling a little sad for him. But I start thinking about just perspective and how important it is for us to really understand that. I know that when Lena and I were in Bangkok, you know, we had a church of about 150 people, and some of our Christians were feeling a little bit overpowered by society and, you know, overpowered by a sense of how small and insignificant that they were. And it was really important that we really modified our narrative about who we are. That instead of saying, you know, oh, how big is your church? Oh, about 150 people trying to just make it through the end of the week. I said, no, you're not. You're about 120,000 disciples all around the world. That's number one. I think number two, too, just a perspective that we're making a dent on what Jesus talked about in terms of our evangelism around the world, that we are hitting, you know, when we were around, when Lena and I first started going to Manila and even Vietnam was kind of tough, but... Really, the tough part is today. You're talking about cracking Islam itself. And all the stuff that you hear in the news about how tough it is, well, guess what? We do need to have brothers and sisters in these countries. It's not like we have the luxury of pulling out and says, you know, Jesus, that's a little bit too hard. So we push on and we push forward. Amen? So that's why we spend the time talking about, that's why we spend the time getting Brothers, stand on up. Sisters, if you're from our sister churches from around the country, around the world, stand on up so we can really see you because we want to encourage you, but just the fact that you're here encourages us as well. Amen? So we see all these great things that are going on around the world, and here's what's going on. Uh, Oh, Roland. You want me to make a pitch for this, Roland? He's also a book writer. So if you are interested in some of Roland's book, please go on uh, to IPIbooks.com. Uh, dot com uh, to um, check out some of Roland's books. Amen? Thanks so much, Roland, for being here. So grateful for your sharing. And uh, Roland's going to get a chance to share for uh, the singles a little bit more as well. So he is a Bible scholar. So on, on Wednesday night for our singles uh, devotional, we're going to devote a part of that time to some Q&A, some, maybe some uh, tough questions that you have uh, in the Bible. So we're going to put Roland on a spot. So while all the stuff is going on around the world, great things in the West Side, we're going to have our own basketball tournament. Amen? So uh, what's going to happen is that uh, after our service today, we're going to have to clear on out uh, pretty quickly 
uh, so that they can set up the, the basketball and then you can grab some lunch and then uh, come back and play at uh, 1 o'clock. So we're going to have two, two, uh, two sessions really. Today's kind of a little bit of a warm-up, so if you're not too ready, don't worry, come on out anyway. But uh, we're going to set up for uh, in March, uh, in May, uh, I'm sorry, in April, where we're going to have uh, a, a single, kind of like, um, I don't know what you call it, a single bracket tournament. You know, if you lose, uh, you get out. All right. That's how we do it in the West, man. We're hard line about these things. For 2016, we devoted our year to just really getting to know who Jesus is. So everything we do is really funneled in those, into those lenses that we're going to see through the eyes of Jesus. Whether it's Black History Month or this month as we're celebrating uh, Women's uh, History Month, we're going to focus through just Jesus. How did Jesus interface uh, with people? How did Jesus deal with race issues? And how did he deal with just uh, the gender issue as well? And it's pretty amazing. You know, last week we talked about how Jesus inspired this woman who changed her city. And the, uh, the Samaritan woman, you know, came to draw some water. And lo and behold, her life would be changed uh, that afternoon. But uh, not only that, but uh, that the whole city would be changed through her changed life. And today as we close out our two-part series, we want to talk about, you know, the people that inspired Jesus. And we're going to focus particularly on this woman that Jesus was inspired by. It's funny to hear that, isn't it? That Jesus, the Son of God, was inspired. You know, what can we do to the creator of the universe that would make him take pause? What can we do? You know, sometimes we give ourselves some excuses and a way out, so I'm just a nobody. And in some ways, it's kind of a cop-out because we see that in the Bible we can inspire God. That the Bible actually says that he, his eyes roam around the earth, throughout the earth searching for maybe perhaps just one person that are wholeheartedly devoted to him. And we're going to talk about a woman today that inspired Jesus. And, uh, you know, he was tired. You know, that's, for me, when I read scriptures and I see some things that Jesus went through, I don't know about you, but it inspires me. The fact that he got hungry. The, fire, the, the fact that he got tired. And the fact that he didn't take some of our courses in the university about cultural and sensitivity where he didn't validate or he didn't, you know, he went after things. And it inspires me to see how he, he dealt with people and what inspired him as well. You know, we're going to pick up a story here in Matthew 15. If you can turn your Bibles there. I had to run to the back and change glasses. I finally got some prescription glasses that I've been saving for and it didn't work. So I'm going back to my old glasses. Buck 99 from Rite Aid. We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 15. And we're going to read in verse 15. It says, you know, I love these interactions that Jesus had with his disciples. And it kind of reminds us, right? I mean, just of our little interaction with each other. So Jesus went through this whole story about how it's not good to be religious. And that we need to break traditions as disciples. We break traditions all the time. And the disciples weren't getting it, so they asked him a simple question. Then you think Jesus would pull them aside and just say, you know, dear loved ones, little children, or whatever. 
in verse 15, Peter says, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked him, yes, we are. (laughs) Don't you see that whatever enters through the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth comes from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. This is such a powerful scripture for our day and age today. When we go through stuff, we always think, you know, man, the problem and the solution is in me. On the one hand, that is true, but on the other hand, it is far from the truth. That we realize from the scripture that what comes from us is not necessarily the best thing, as Jesus said. It's not from the outside. We tend to blame the problems on the outside and we tend to think that our solution is from the inside. On the one end, that's true. But Jesus says no. Jesus says yes. Look inside of you. But that's where the sin comes from as well. And he's pointing them towards something else. And I don't know if it's right to say this, but it seems like Jesus does get a little bit perturbed and frustrated and hard to, 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 to really understand because when he deals with us, sometimes it's hard for him to deal with us because we are so dull sometimes. And what I appreciate about Jesus is that he doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't say, oh, you know, all you got to do is just kind of do this and do that and, you know, get some help. This He says, yes, but he says, man, listen, get sharpened in your faith. Get sharpened in your spirituality. You know, we do so much for our job, don't we? We work so hard. We put in years and years and years into studying. You know, in our job, you go to, you go to work tomorrow, your boss is on you, right? Because you're getting that paycheck and he expects or she expects the best from you. But somehow, some way, we leave that when it comes to our spirituality. We're not sharp, you know? We don't, we don't focus. We don't consider it like, this is really important stuff. I need to get this. Not only is my life dependent on this, but my eternal life, my eternity is dependent on this. i got to get with this here. And he was so frustrated, Jesus. I don't know if I can say that, but it seems like it. Maybe it was a godly frustration. You know, anything you you can't figure out, you go, it's a godly fear. It's a godly jealousy. It's a godly frustration. He was frustrated. He says, man, Peter, you you should get this by now. You should figure this out by now. All right. The woman who inspired Jesus. It's possible. It's possible. Think about that this week. Does our life inspire Jesus. Outside life, inside life, physical life, thought life, heart life, emotional life. Does it inspire Jesus? Does he look down and go, man, that guy, that girl inspires me. You know, Jesus was a little bit tired, took a little retreat, 
He went about 35 miles, 40 miles away from kind of his base. And he went to a region named as Tyre, and, and, and uh, that's one. Um, and the other one is uh, Sidon. It's kind of like the enemy territory. And these were the Canaanites, as we're going to read that Matthew talks about. There's another account of this in the book of Mark, where Mark is a little bit more PC. It's a little bit more politically correct. And he says that this is a Syrophoenician woman, you know, from the area of Syria next to the Mediterranean. But Matthew, being a Jew, didn't have that sensitivity. And maybe he had some baggage from the past, perhaps, that God allowed to be in scriptures to allow us to see the hatred that was going on. And Canaanites were not friendly to the Israelites. They've had a historical enmity towards each other. And Matthew, being a Jew, writing to the Jews, says, listen, these are the Canaanites. And it points out to not only how much they hate each other, but points how much Jesus went out of his way in some ways to mend those tensions and to say that all men are going to be saved. All women are invited to my banquet. And he contrasts the Jews of the time who just didn't get it. They went to church all the time. They didn't get it. And to their shame even, Jesus contrasts them in Matthew 15, or Matthew did through the Holy Spirit, a Syrophoenician woman, also known as a Canaanite. Jesus went out of his way to collect characters like this to make a point. God goes out of his way. And that's what I appreciate about God. He goes out of his way. And there's no freeway or there's no cars walking. 35 miles in a hot Judean sun to reach out, to get perspective. We're going to read in verse 21 to verse 28, and we're going to go back and break down three of our points. In verse 21, it says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith, and your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. Isn't that a great story? What a great story about this woman who had nothing to lose but everything to gain. And what was it about her that we can extract these few lines from this very short verse in the Bible, from this very short story in the Bible that made Jesus inspired, get inspired by this woman? And I love the Bible because it's so extreme that it takes all away all our excuses. Well, I'm not rich, I'm not powerful, I don't have a title, I don't have a PhD like Tierra. I'm not going to law school like Josh. I don't even have the opportunity. I've never visited Stanford. What, where is it, by the way? 
But Jesus takes the lowliest person and says, what's our excuse? What's your excuse? There are three things that she did that inspired him. There are more, but, you know, three things I drew from. Number one, she chose Jesus above all else. You know, the sins of the Canaanites are many. Many. I mean, they had cultish prostitution. They had, you know, they killed their children. I mean, they did all kinds of weird stuff. That's why the Bible in the Old Testament, you see these wars where God says, you've got to stay away from some of these people. The Amorites were under, you know, the, the, the umbrella of, of that ethnicity that, that is under the umbrella of this race, if you will. And they went through all kinds of horrific sins and terrible things. But really, the one thing that I see in the Bible is that they worship many, many different gods. That although they perhaps had one main god, but the real deal is that they had different gods to meet their different needs. And they try to choose whichever gods that is to meet their particular needs at that time. And we look at that story and we go, wow, that's like the Canaanites, man. What are you talking about, Ken? How does that relate to me? We do exactly the same thing today. We do. We pick and choose what scriptures we believe in. We take a look at the scripture and we kind of conveniently push those aside that pertains to our situation and we try to get help from somewhere else. And it's permeating our church, whether we know it or not. This woman had to make a choice. And she was not an Israelite. She was not a Jew. She was not born in church. She perhaps tried many of those other things, and it did not work. And she came to the conclusion that this is it. And she chose Jesus above all else. And the words that she, she chose is revealing. What did she say? Choosing. This is a pacer. You guys know what a pacer is? It's a horrible car. And I was thinking about that this morning as I was putting those lessons. I said, you know what you choose is really important. Look at this guy. Yeah, they match together perfectly well, don't you think? <laughs> what we choose is really important. It tells a lot about who we are. The things that we choose, the things that we deem important in our lives. And maybe no one knows, but it's in our hearts. Whatever we choose that's close to our hearts, we know. And it's important to us. She's looking at it. She goes, should I, should I not? No. It's a horrible car. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the, uh, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Look at her words. She's crying out to Jesus. She said, what? Lord. Lord. The significance of that is power. She understood where the power is. She understood where the power lies. She says, Lord. It wasn't like, I think you got some good things that maybe I can take away from, a few takeaways. He says, Lord. She said, Lord. And the second thing she said was, she said, Son of David. The lineage of David. She recognized God's power, God's working through the Jewish people. But the first thing is, Lord. Is Jesus Lord? He's either Lord or he's not. There's no middle ground. 
He's either the Lord of everything or he's the Lord of nothing. Jesus has got to be above all else. And she cries out to him and says, and this word is really fascinating. We're going to look at it again. She goes, Lord, son of David, who is sick? Her daughter is sick. But who is she asking for mercy for herself? Pretty interesting stuff, don't you think? Her daughter is sick, and she's begging Jesus to help her. But the first thing is what? Jesus has got to be the Lord above all else. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter if you're not part of the right clan. It doesn't matter if you're part of the right zip code. It doesn't matter if you're part of the right school. Jesus is above all else. That's what inspires Jesus. He doesn't care about our clothes. He doesn't care about our status. Jesus is above all else. Point number two. You know, what we're going to see, and then we saw from the story, is that she overcame discouragements with love. You know, she came to Jesus and she begged Jesus, and Christianity today is so wimpy. We think Jesus is so wimpy. We think Jesus is such a pushover. Whatever we do, we can come to him, and he goes, hey, come on in. That's our standard. That's not Jesus' standard. That's, that's our standard. That's, that's society's standard. Jesus is either Santa Claus, he's the man with the white little sheep, or he's, he's, he's just a total pushover. He's like a weak-willed woman. He's not. He's not. I tell you, get to know the real Jesus. He's got an edge to him. He's got an edge. If you're not ready for that, and if, if your vision, if your idea, ideal of who Jesus is does not fit with the scripture, then hey, that's, that's going to be really tough. That's going to be tough. She overcame discouragement with love. Here's what I mean. Jesus did not answer a word. Not a word. This woman comes to acknowledge who he is, Calls him Lord, understands his genealogy, you know, did some study on it perhaps, understood the right doctrine. He did not answer a word. Got so embarrassing that the disciple says, you know, send her away. She's making a scene. This is like really uncomfortable for all of us, Jesus. Jesus, make things nice for us, Jesus. Can't have this silence here. He's a sinner away. Heal her, sinner away. Don't heal her, sinner away. Say something. Silence is pretty discouraging, isn't it? It is. You pray, you think that you know, God's going to answer you, and he does. But I tell you what, it takes time. That's what I've learned. It takes time. And silence also is a test of true, genuine faith. How many of you who are parents give stuff to your kids at the moment that they ask them? Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. There's wisdom in it. There's wisdom in the gifts that we give. There's rhyme and reason for what we do as parents. Amen? Jesus is the same way. And then he finally said something after the disciples kind of say, we're really embarrassed here. He says, I was only sent to the lost sheep 
of Israel. So since you know a little bit about the Bible, Samaritan uh, Canaanite woman, I'm going to use the scripture and I tell you, you should know this, I was only sent for the lost sheep of, of Israel. There is a time and rhyme for God's plan. At that particular moment, she could have just walked away and says, okay, I tried, I tried. Daughter, I tried. She had no choice. And here's where that word, have mercy on me, comes into play. When you love somebody enough that you have no choice but to keep going, that's where she was at. She had no choice. So her struggle and her demon possession became her demon possession. Her lostness became her struggles. And that's why she says, have mercy on me, because I am not giving up on this. And I need you to help me. Do we feel that way about the people that we see each day? Do we really feel that way? Do we have Christ's heart? Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Do we have the right perspective of where people are at spiritually? Are we fooled by the nice cars of Venice Beach and you know the pristine little poodles that walk around and says, man, I wish I had that haircut. I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> I found a place the other day, 12 bucks for a haircut. Like I kept the card. I'm like, stuck it in my phone. 12 bucks plus two bucks tip. You know, multiply that out every five weeks. Yeah, I was like, that's good. That's a good deal for me. We live in a neighborhood where the dogs, man, their dog food is more than that. You know, one meal. And we get deceived. Maybe on campus, and you go, man, these guys, they got it together. They got a good grad school program coming up. No, they're not. Get in there a little bit. What demons possessed about them? I guarantee you. I look at Tiara, PhD student. I didn't know. Appreciate her heart and just sharing. Say, whoa, Tiara. I was convicted. I was sitting back there. I said, you know what? I need to know more. About how, you know, I need to ask more questions. But you know, this woman, she, she persevered. There's no choice, right? I guess what I'm saying is that I feel convicted. I, I look around. It's hard. It's, it's, it's hard. But perseverance is really a mark of love. Love always perseveres. Always. That word always is significant. Always persevere. You know, one of the hardest places that Lena and I had a chance to go to, and I appreciate my wife, tomorrow's our anniversary, 24 years being married to me. Give the woman a hand. <laughs> Give the woman a hand. Not easy. Not easy. Ooh, it's hard. It's hard. Hard. San Marino girl. San Marino. Pasadena. Uptown girl. I mean, that's what she is. She's an uptown girl. You know, downtown man. I mean, I wasn't even downtown. I was like the slums of downtown. I mean, I mean she's, I mean, her parents don't even talk to me, man, to this day. I'm like, I don't, re you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not mad at her. I, I understand her, you know, but toughest place I ever shared my faith was in Tokyo, Japan. This was in Shinjuku. It's one of the biggest stations around the world. It is not in the DNA of Japanese people to go to church. It's not in the DNA of Japanese people to stop and listening to you inviting them to go to church. It's the Japanese people DNA to go to work. 
And this is the, these guys are called people movers. They shove people in in the morning during rush hour. That's their job. Look at this guy on the left here. He's like, ah, two more years to ooh, retirement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's thinking, you see him? He's like thinking, I got to retire here. He's like, I can't do this anymore. Tough. Tokyo, man, you share your faith, people shoo you away. You think it's hard here? Tough in Tokyo. It's just not, you know, they got a saying, if, if the nail sticks up, take a hammer and hammer it down. They just, they just, it's not in their thing. You go share your faith, I mean, you feel like a little scumbag. They shoo you away sometimes in these stations. Nina was carrying Elizabeth around, you know, the little, you know, thing, and this Japanese woman came up to her and just yelled at her and said, don't do that, don't do that. You ever watch the movie Elephant Man? This guy had a horrendous disease, and he was treating like, you know, an animal being, you know, asked to go to the circus. I felt like that when I was in Tokyo sharing my faith. In the middle of the, of the station, I would cry out, because I am a man. You can't treat me like this. It's tough. It's discouraging. But you got to keep on going. What do you do? You can't stop. They're still lost. Here's another picture. Here, he, he's, he's a rookie. He doesn't know. These other guys have gotten that, done their job. This guy doesn't know. He's using his, throwing his body into this. He answered, I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. She could have just walked away. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. I need your help. I have no choice in this. I am responsible for this little girl. I can't just drop this. Help me. What a great scripture. Don't you think? Help me. Help me. Brothers and sisters, let's ask God to help us. Amen? Let's help us. God, help me. Help me, help me to throw out the fears that I have and share my faith. Help me to throw out the, the, the selfishness that I feel when, I, when I'm just, I just want to come back from work, go home, you know, and just that's it. Help, help me overcome that. Help me overcome getting the help that I need for my, my team. Or my, help, me, help me to be whatever I need to become. Help me through love. Amen? Our last point. He replied, you think Jesus would relent? Come on, Jesus. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. You know, some theologians try to get around it and say, I can't believe Jesus would say something like Jesus. There are a few things I want to ask Jesus when I get to heaven. Jesus, why did you make this woman's world thing so hard? Number one. Number two, what's up with that scripture, Jesus? Some theologians, you know what they do? They try to make Jesus, you know, a little bit more nicer, so they go, you know, dogs, that word, it's, an, it, it's a really nice word. It's, a, it's, it's those little cute little dogs that you have affinity for, that they come to your door, you know, you feed them, oh, little, little lovely dog, you know. No, 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 dog is a dog. If Jesus calls you a dog, you feel it. Right? Jesus, you talking about a little dog or the big ugly dog? No, a little dog. No, it doesn't matter. A dog is a dog. He's making a case. And you can read it anywhere you want. Look what she does. 
And, and, and I, I read this in Tim Keller the other day. He's a really famous teacher out on the East Coast. He said this. He says, to be scandalized is not to disagree. It doesn't say that they disagree with him. Well, you have this view, but I have this view. You have a right to your view. That's not what we're talking about. To be offended, to be scandalized, is to be outraged. I was like, you call me a dog. Is to viscerally turn away and discuss with your whole being. Jesus evokes scandal. Jesus offends. I feel the same way, but I know that I'm, you know, we're, we're like together. Like no prophet is, you know, it's like you know, a prophet is someone who lives 100 miles away. This guy's like 3,000 miles away. Listen to this. It's true. Jesus evokes scandal. Jesus offends. He offends not on purpose in terms of making us feel bad. He offends our sinful nature. He offends us. Number two. This is uh, from John Scott. He wrote a book called Basic Christianity. He says, no one ever responded to Jesus moderately. Every response to Jesus is extreme. Whether people met Jesus and heard what he had to say, there are only three things that they did. They either ran away from him in fear, murderously turned up upon him and tried to kill him, or they fell down on their knees and surrendered everything to him. No one ever liked Jesus. No one ever said, I like you. Jesus is bad. I mean, he's awesome. And he confronts us with his words today and every day. As we close on out, she triumphs through faith. She triumphs through faith. She suffered the silent treatment. She's made a spectacle of by the disciples. Jesus says, listen, you're not, you're not in the plan of God. Not right now. And, and you're kind of a dog. Many of us would have walked away, right? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. This is brilliant. She didn't get offended. There have been so many lost opportunities in the world because of being offended. There's been so many lost opportunities. It didn't even get to second base. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. With an answer like that, Jesus said, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and your daughter was healed at that very moment. It's what we put our faith in. It's how we persevere through love. Charm is deceptive. As we close on how beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her with all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Martha, Martha, Jesus said, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. How you look, how people look at you, what you got, what you're going to get. How does it set up? How does it not set up? 
how the shirt's not good, how the, P, you know, the PDF stinks. He says, but few things are needed. Or indeed, only one. Only one. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. Let's celebrate Women's Month. Let's learn from these great women in scriptures. But more than that, let's learn from one another. Let's inspire one another. Let's have some stories in, 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 in just circulating amongst our fellowship. You know, next week is uh, Easter. And Easter is traditionally a death time when people come to church. Right? It's a great opportunity. I thought about this for, you know, three weeks and how we should really make Easter big. You know, we're not going to have invites. We're, we're going to go without sandals. We're going to go without an extra tunic. We're going to go without an extra purse. Plus, I had a lot of things going on. Uh, for one week, for one week, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Maybe I haven't had a visitor in a long, long time. Maybe it's the first one in years. Amen. One in a row. One in a row, baby. That's, that's, that's a good start. But more than that, it's not just inviting the it's the hearts. Amen? I implore us today. Let's be the church that Jesus calls us to be. Amen. Have a great week. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.